but he's in his 30s at the moment. He is still flailing through life, still trying to figure it out, just like the rest of us. <laughs> well, I don't know if I appreciate flailing, but um, <laughs> but thank you. Okay, let me say that again. I just didn't want to use the word wing it again. Ethan's just drowning. <laughs> let me do... I'm trying to tread water here, and it's... Uh... Let me do that again. I don't want to say wing it. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know where to start. Hey guys, welcome to season two of Wing It. You're going to be joining myself, Yvonne, and my best mate, Aisha, on for another journey of highs and lows of our 20s. Now we are definitely midway through. We're on the road to 30 now. So be ready for some different topics, different guests, and yeah, taking you into 2021 with some new fresh content. Um, can't wait for you to join us along for the ride. Keep winging it. Whoop. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Wing It with your hosts Aish and Yvonne. Today we also have a guest waiting in the wings as well. So I've been waiting to bring this person on for quite a few episodes now. We met at the beginning of this year and we both started at our current company at the same time. He started listening to Wing It at the end of season one, beginning of season two. And every single week, he's been giving us lots and lots of feedback. I kind of feel like he's been like a, a silent producer, a silent creator in the wings as well, because of how much useful feedback he gives us. And the main reason why I wanted to bring him on today is because he is essentially the definition of wing it, potentially even more than me and Aisha, or just as wing it as me and Aisha ourselves. And I thought it was quite fitting. Obviously, we just had our one year anniversary episode go out. Thank you, everybody, for obviously contributing to that episode. So I thought it was really fitting to bring him on today and also... We are colleagues, but I feel like very, very quickly we became quite good friends over the last couple of months. So I'm so, so happy to bring on Ethan to the podcast. How are you doing, Ethan? You okay? Hey, I'm good. Good. Well, um, I honestly don't really know how to follow that intro at all. I feel like I should just leave now because um, it's all downhill from here, really. <laughs> You've got a lot to live up to, Ethan. <laughs> but thank you both for having me on. Like, it's, uh, it is honestly an honor to be on I, like uh like Yvonne said I've been listening since season two and then I've gone back to kind of listen to a few new episodes in season one and uh yeah and it's definitely kind of opened my eyes as well it's helped me a lot and then including my conversations with Yvonne as well so yeah thank you guys yeah thank you so much for coming on Ethan like I said before I feel like I know you already just through Yvonne and I can't believe this is the first time we're actually meeting virtually because I already know so much about you which is really really nice and yeah I'm looking forward to finding out a lot more in, in this episode so I'm excited yeah same same I definitely feel like I, I know you Aisha as well like uh yeah it's pretty surreal to be honest to finally put a uh, a face to the name. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> Every time I meet up with people, the first question is, how are you? The same question is, how is Aisha? Every <laughs> single time I meet up with people. So yeah, it shows what a prevalent part of your life. Probably sometimes more important than actually what I'm up to is like, what's Aisha doing with her life? That's kind of the, the most important question to most people. 
But I wanted to start with, obviously, you know, I explained a little bit about how we met Ethan, but it would be really good for you to explain kind of your background, kind of bring everybody up to speed with your life so far, career, personal life, just like a short intro, really. Cool. I mean, where to begin? So I was born in China, but I actually moved to the UK when I was at the age of one. So like super early. Um, And then I kind of grew up in the, I grew up in Oxford, I think. My dad studied at Oxford University, and then that, that was when my mum decided to bring myself and her like over to kind of like be with him. And I kind of just grew up in Oxford all like through up until kind of A-levels. And then for uni, studied in London. I think I couldn't wait to get away from my parents. Um, so I chose the nearest biggest city, which was uh, London. I did my bachelor's there in biology of all things. But then kind of after that, I went back to China and I did a master's in journalism, stayed there for roughly eight years before coming back to the UK, maybe three years ago now. And yeah, I've just been here ever since and kind of doing marketing, I guess, is like the space that I'm in. So a couple of things kind of spring to mind. The first thing is that we're going to touch on this to begin with, I think, a little bit about your background and being a obviously East Asian family growing up in Oxford, I feel like that is quite a you know important part of your like journey or your background. But also, as you guys have just heard, and it's going to be the main theme of today's episode, doing biology, then you went to journalism, and now you're doing marketing. And that is something we can really open up and discuss later on, if that's okay. So I mean, First things first, growing up in, me and I shall like to just call it as it is, you grew up in a very white, you know, upper class area. Everybody knows Oxford for what it is. <laughs> How did you feel growing up in such a white area? Did, was it culturally diverse? Give us, a, give us a little bit of insight. I think the best thing to kind of demonstrate the cultural diversity uh, of my childhood is that I, during school, up before, up until uni, I've never had another East Asian classmate, uh, or even in my year. Yeah, primarily surrounded by white people. And honestly, it's not really, I guess maybe like in primary school, you kind of feel, you feel different. But I think it got to a point where the last few years, it wasn't, like I never felt out of place, if that makes any sense. Yeah, I mean, it's it's weird. I mean, uh, I didn't really kind of, I try to, you know, socialize and kind of take part in everything that, in quotation marks, they do. But like, so, so I never really- What, like um, lacrosse? I don't know what they do. And I'm white. <laughs> I don't even know what they do. Lacrosse? No, like, um, <laughs> but you know what I mean? Like, it, uh, for me, I never felt like being here since I was one, mm. like English was always my best language. So it never felt too weird. Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, Ethan, I feel like you're talking about my life right now. Because <laughs> growing up in, a, from obviously background being South Asian, I actually didn't spend any time in Pakistan though. So I literally, I've been here since six months because um, I was born in Europe, but been here six, six months. And growing up in Windsor, I can really, really feel that because you don't feel out of place. But also, I don't know if you had this feeling like at the back of your mind that somehow you were different, but you didn't know how you were different until you went somewhere else. 
because I went to uni in Leeds, which was really, really culturally diverse, but I didn't realise how white British Windsor was until I went to Leeds and I was surrounded by brown people and people from other parts of the world for the first time. <laughs> I actually, I don't know, like I've never felt that way in terms of kind of my experience in like Oxford compared to when I started uni in London. I mean, I think the, the biggest change for me when I started uni was that I actually made Chinese friends, I would say. Yeah. Like that yeah. was the like the weird thing. Like, oh, okay. So but in terms of the actual the I guess the natives, the the Brits, like it never really mm. I feel like through my childhood I've experienced most like the gamut, the the kind of like the array of different types of people. It was just like mainly in school, okay, yeah from the ages of like 11 onwards, primarily white. Um, yeah. Yeah, I never really felt too out of place, I guess. That's good. I guess one thing I also wanted to ask Ethan, so where you and Aisha are not really parallel is obviously Aisha has never lived in Pakistan. She's never spent like a significant amount of time there. She wasn't born there. Whereas you were born in China, you came over here, grew up here, but then you also spent a significant amount of your, I want to say adulthood, like the beginning of your 20s in China. Mm -hmm. So do you have an affiliation with one country over another? Or this kind of relates to Tarek's episode of obviously looking at your identity and really reflecting on do you associate or do you have like a stronger connection with one country or another like I know that's a big question but I don't know do you have any thoughts on that the short answer is when I'm in the UK I f sometimes feel more Chinese and when I'm in China I sometimes feel more British that's a really good way of putting it <laughs> but like to be honest I don't if you put me like in a vacuum I wouldn't really say that I have an affinity more towards one over the other. I think it, if anything, it might be like British, but only because my English is better than my Chinese. But that possibly is quite a naive way to think about identity. But I don't know. Like it's, yeah, it's, I don't really have a definitive answer for you. It's an open question. Like obviously there's no right or wrong. Like we were saying, I think one of the episodes was actually titled is identity fluid or resolute i'm not going to say like life or death ethan give me an answer right now you feel a different way in both settings and aisha's obviously spoken about how she feels you know i feel like for both of you and for me as well to like a different in a different way but we're all discovering our identities constantly as we go through our 20s and 30s yeah i mean i could definitely give you an answer if you life or death me but like um, <laughs> it probably wouldn't be true or at least it would be true then but it might change later on so yeah. So what actually made you go back to China? The honest answer is that I, one, I wanted to get away from my parents a little bit. And two, I wanted, like, I had made loads of new Chinese friends, I guess, and a lot of them were going back. So I decided to, like, why not? Um, it, was a, it gave me a chance to kind of explore a country that I had never really explored too much. Um, I think in my 20 years living in the UK, I had only gone back a handful of times and that was mainly to visit grandparents and it was never to kind of explore and have fun really. It was more kind of family stuff. Mm. So yeah, I think I just took the opportunity, uh, mainly the parents though. Yeah, and you ended up staying for quite quite a while. I mean, I'm guessing that was, were you traveling around China or were you just in one place in China? Because obviously it's a huge country. So I went back without really a plan. 
winging it. <laughs> you two the words right out of my mouth, Aish. I, I really didn't want to like roll, roll credits, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, no. So for the first year, I kind of just did whatever, just partied a lot, traveled, just, you know, did what I wanted to. Um, spent a lot of money that I didn't really have. Amazing. But it was during that first year where I discovered there was like a, an opportunity to study journalism. And although it might not seem like it because I did biology before, but I think it was during biology that I discovered the love for writing. So I felt that, okay, like maybe try journalism and we can see. So that's why I kind of decided to stay. And then after that, it was just working and everything else really just followed. Amazing. That's, it's really interesting that you said through a subject that's completely different, you've discovered your love for another subject. I think that is something that a lot of people find but are really nervous or scared to admit because it means kind of like a change in career or a change in industry or a change in interests. And obviously, especially at the moment with so much, you know, instability, everyone's very, very nervous. They, it has to be kind of a stable path that they're following and also when you do come from certain cultural backgrounds where parents are a massive influence on your decisions um obviously I'm not sure how strict your your parents are but it can be quite nerve-wracking so I mean did your did your family or your parents kind of have an influence over what you did I mean were they okay with you just winging it or (laughs) um they definitely had their plan uh-huh, and yeah. I think I followed their plan to the best that I could. So I think unlike a lot of Asian parents uh, there, or maybe not so much anymore, but at least back in the day, my parents wanted me to either become a doctor or a lawyer. Yep. I had more of an affinity with the sciences, I guess. So during kind of GCSE A-level time, I decided, okay, maybe I'll become a doctor then. I did not get into medical school. Uh, So the plan was for me to do biology and then transfer to medicine afterwards, which is a fairly sound plan. I think a lot of people do that. Okay. But what I realized is that, that I should have realized is that even though I did biology for A-levels, it was always the science that I hated the most. So having to do that at uni and kind of like by myself, I kind of realized that wait a second, I really don't like this subject and I don't think I want to become a doctor. So that was kind of a turning point, I guess. I actually told my parents, I think maybe after the first year that I don't think I want to do this. They they were okay with it, I guess, but they were kind of worried as to what I would do. Mm. Um, and I have to say, I didn't really know, which is why I went back to China, to be honest. Are they all about like the forward planning as well? Like they want you to have like a five, 10 year plan put in place, not really diverging from the plan or where they kind of like, we trust Ethan, go with it. Well, trust is a bit, I don't don't know about the trust aspect, um, but I don't (laughs) think they required a massive long-term plan from me. I think in terms of the planning, it was, at least I had some sort of direction, but I think the thing that sums up a lot of uh, my early life, I would say, is that the lack of direction. Mm. It's kind of just doing this, but that's that doesn't really work. So kind of let's try and find something else. But I mean, it's worked out okay so far. But um, yeah, it can be it can be really scary at times. I definitely went through phases where I was just like, I don't know what I'm doing. 
but I don't want to be doing this. <laughs> Mate, we still feel like that. We still feel like this today. So we're we're completely with you. And that's exactly why we wanted to bring you on, really, because you do have such a diverse background in terms of subjects and the industries that you've worked in. So just kind of giving us a bit of a flavor of that journey, I think would be really insightful. Mm. It can be quite frightening. So if we speak about going from biology to journalism to start with, how did you kind of pluck up the, first of all, I guess, identifying that, yeah, this isn't the subject for me. But then how did you then pluck up the courage to be like, right, let's go and do a master's in this field? Well, I think like what Aisha was saying is that like, even though I was doing something I didn't like, I found aspects of it that I did like. Ironically, it wasn't actually part of biology. So when I was studying and doing biology, I would also, I joined a football society and I would do kind of like post-match reports and stuff for like the web, just as a blog. And I just really enjoyed writing. So I just kind of explored that aspect, which is why. And then I think I, a very good friend of mine, his mum is a journalist so i talked to her about it and um i mean it seemed like a viable direction to go in but like i think i had looked into a journalism certification or something here in the uk before i went back to china but yeah i don't i don't think it panned out uh, so i just decided to go back and then i heard about uh, a journalism degree in china that was taught in english which was the only way i would be able to do it so i decided to kind of explore that and yeah, I think that's how it happened, really. It's kind of coincidental. It wasn't really well planned or anything. It just happened to happen that way, I guess. Can I ask, with most of these uh, like courses in the UK, for example, to be able to do a MA or a master's in something, you, you do need a little bit of background. So how did you not have to do like a, like, you know, like a conversion course or whatever it's called, like a transition course? How did they kind of accept you as a biology student to do journalism? I want to say that my interview was really convincing, but I think it was more, I guess, because foreign students studying in China are quite a rarity, especially in courses that aren't language based. So it was relatively easier. And also they've, I think, had a history of having students, enrolling students from kind of all sorts of backgrounds. So it wasn't too hard to, to do, really. I would say. And then you did you ever work in the field of journalism before transferring to marketing? Did I? Wow. I think I'm... So I do remember really early on writing some footballing pieces for a really small football website, just kind of freelancing. I can't quite remember if this was before or after, though, because um, it was such a long time ago. So... I mean, for anyone out there who, who is thinking about applying for a similar one in China, you honestly don't need much experience at all. Um, I think you just need to show your passion. I do remember one of the interview questions being, who is your favorite kind of journalist slash writer? And um, I, I had one. Um, I didn't prepare for that question, but I had one kind of that I really liked. So I think that that passion for the subject, for the craft showed through. I think a, a line that you said a while back, Ethan, that I found really great was, I don't know what I want to do, 
but it's not this. Because I feel like that line sums up every single person who is winging it through their 20s. And you are literally a primary example of if I don't want to do this, let's try something I do want to do. And if it doesn't work out, it's fine. Because I think we've had quite a few different guests on you know, we were doing a lot of uni slash non-uni related topics. And I think one amazing thing about uni is that if you're not necessarily super, super convinced by the topic you're studying or the subject you're studying, there's so much at uni to do where you can find your interest. Like I knew a student who was, he was studying languages with me, but he was working with the student radio and he's now a radio presenter because that's what he did. That's he was so part cool. of that society. Yeah, and um, it's just so it's just so important, I think, to explore what you want to do and explore the different aspects of your personality as well. I mean, you liked science for a bit, but then it was okay that you liked writing as well. And I think that's really important for people to understand because even with me, when I first came out of uni, I was so set on doing one thing because I thought that was what I had to do. But there was no rule telling me that I had to do that. It was just in my own head. And I think as you get older, you realise that more and more. But when you're younger, you're straight out of uni. I think it's still quite a a naive mindset that you're in so that was a really really pretty brave thing that that you did is just kind of winging it through and just going with what you wanted to do and what you liked especially coming from quite a culturally you know strict background it's a lot easier for other people to do that but you know we're looking at me there i sure coming from with that a <laughs> 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 little bit a little bit <laughs> no no i completely agree i think in fact I, f- I try to find, like now, I try to find like little bits and pieces that I can take away from any kind of adventure, mm. no matter how much I like it. In fact, I, was, I actually regret not studying harder for biology because I feel like a lot of that knowledge probably could have come in handy now. But yeah, I was too young and I just hated biology at that time. But yeah, so I think, yeah, experimentation is definitely a, gr- a great way to kind of go through and just find out what you're what you like and what you want to do yeah and it doesn't even have to stop with your 20s like people are still changing careers when they're in their 40s and 50s like huge career changes going from one thing to the complete opposite like a full 180 so I think especially with the world we live in it's so small now you can literally do anything like you could study Harry Potter course like you can literally do anything I don't know what you would do with it of course you would refer to that when that would be the first thing you would study it's not so cool then you would do a Harry Potter podcast or something right exactly there you go see anything is possible and you can go anywhere to do this stuff obviously you know putting COVID aside but the world is just so it's just so small now and yeah it's just so important I think to just explore that and not be Obviously, it's so much easier to say now that I'm a little bit older, but I just wish if I could look back at my 21-year-old self, just not be so set on doing something that I thought I had to do, that I hated. Like, why was I putting myself through that? Well, what I found as well, and this is something I really wanted to ask Ethan, because like we said, you did a little bit of journalism. Wait, did you say, have you actually done any journalism post your journalism course? I would say that I have never been a journalist yeah. Right. In the professional world, you've been in marketing, you would say. Pretty much, yeah. I mean, like, I've written stuff, but I would never call myself a journalist. Like, that's that. They're on another level, let's just say that. And what I have felt, because I've been in so many different industries, so I'm currently on my third industry in five years. So I started in education. 
I then went to travel and now I'm in recruitment. I've been in three different industries. Have you ever been penalized or have you ever been kind of put off in interviews or anything like that for kind of changing so much or changing your direction or people questioning your background saying, but you've done biology and journalism. Why on earth are you applying to marketing? You're clearly not the guy for us because that's how I felt. And I found it really hard to move laterally in industry. So I just wanted to hear your opinion, really. I think in some ways that I'm quite lucky in terms of the fact that marketing is quite broad a subject and it, it, it gives you a lot of flexibility, uh, especially when it comes to industry. So a lot of the like, kind of jobs on offer, they don't specifically require you to have so-and-so years in that particular industry because a lot of um, the skills are transferable. And when we're talking about marketing, a lot of it is to do with kind of creativity and sometimes having someone outside that industry can offer some fresh perspective on how to approach uh, a certain campaign, for example. So in that, in terms of that, I, I'm really lucky. But I think, I guess, yeah, I mean, it, sorry, what was the original question again? Do you ever feel penalized for... <laughs> Like switching industries, for example, like did anybody in your first interview for marketing, did people kind of go, why are you here? You have zero degree in marketing. Well, I would say probably, I mean, I think you have to do a lot of research beforehand. Mm. I was, I've never kind of changed like jobs too drastically. So before marketing, I was a web manager. And in terms of that actual role, a lot of it is to do with marketing, or at least during that role, I taught myself a lot of the kind of marketing terminology to kind of help better do my job as a web manager, if that makes sense. So I think by the time I decide to apply for a marketing role, I could kind of blag it because I kind of already knew, even though I never really had that title, I sort of knew what would be expected of me. For someone to kind of completely jump, I mean, that's a different proposition, but like, yeah, I mean, definitely do your research and know what's expected of you. And I think if you think hard enough, you could probably apply any previous responsibility and previous experience to your new role. Well, this is what I find really hard to get across. So like anybody who knows me like as a person, like I'm very, I don't like, you know, not blowing my own trumpet, but I like to say I'm really organized. I, you know, put my ideas across. I like to contribute with new ideas. I have lots of hats on. So in my current role in particular, I'm like organizing like four different things, like four different projects. All of these skills in terms of like operational, like we've spoken about this in the past, Irish, in terms of soft skills that are actually really essential to kind of any role. But for me to say that I've organized, built these new processes in one industry, these skills are highly transferable. But because I haven't had three years of, I don't know, travel industry experience beforehand, nobody wants a bar of me. It was only, for example, at my travel company that I eventually got into that role is because I kind of honed into that operational skills rather than these are the skills I have in travel, if that makes sense. So that's where I find it's hard to get across that. You can probably put me in any organization. I would do a really good like operations role, 
very you know anything in terms of organizing new processes i'm very confident with people liaising with people liaising with execs liaising with students whoever it might be but to try and convey that maybe that's just me and my own skills like not being able to convey that i don't know if you've also felt like that i i think with transferable skills especially when you're younger and you're kind of working towards a certain manager position i think obviously depending on industry but i think it's quite if you do enough research and you think about it, it's quite easy to link transferable skills. Like things like, I don't know, good communication, uh, management, uh, organization. Like these are things that make a good employee. And I mean, I haven't worked in, you know, the medicines or the sciences or anything like that. But obviously coming from a languages background, I could literally apply to anything. And I think that's why I found it really difficult because it was just such a versatile degree. And when I first, you know, did languages, everyone was like, well, what are you going to do? Be a translator? And I was like, well, I don't know. I'm just doing these because I I like traveling. And I want to go places during my degree. Like I thought that was a pretty reasonable justification. But that's what employers don't get, in my perspective. So employers or recruiters, they see that you haven't got X amount of years and that industry, therefore, we're not going to even interview you. But I also feel like if you were, if, if you, so for example, with Ethan, he was really, really on it with the journalism and he went out of his way to show that he could write through societies or something like starting a blog you can or freelancing in the subjects that you're interested in I think you can do things and take up things outside of your role that will show employers that you're serious about because you know career changes they happen like employers aren't stupid like they know people want to change degrees they know people want to change change their lives if they don't enjoy what they're doing now and I think they would take a risk on someone if they've shown how serious they are. So doing something on the side, doing something freelance in marketing, if they want to be a web designer, doing their research, you know, showing projects where they've independently gone out and tried to make it. And now they want to take a step further and make it into a career. I think I think it's really, really doable if you do it like that. But you just got to show that you are serious about it and they can take a risk on you. And I think... If the employer, if you've got every other skill and the only sticking point is that you haven't done three years in that industry and that's the reason they don't want you, they're probably not the greatest like employer, to be honest. They're not open-minded enough to kind of like see what else you would bring. Because I think experience in a particular industry, while that is important for a lot of positions, I don't think it should be a deal breaker in the way that it often is. Yeah, unless it's like something super, super specific, like a surgeon or something. Oh, yeah. Like, <laughs> I mean, I wouldn't be applying there with my French and Arabic degree. But yeah, I, I think you're you're completely right. And I think it also depends on the kind of person you are and, you know, the kind of character that you will bring to the company. A lot of people will take a chance on someone who knows absolutely nothing, but is so super confident and who will go out of their way within the company to to give it a go and to try new things and to bring a bit of, I don't know, like sometimes when you have people in the company there for a long time, it kind of, there's a lull. You need people to mix it up. People become complacent in their own role. And then this is something me and Ethan have spoken about a lot 
in, in terms of being open-minded, exactly what he just said, being open-minded to listening to the young ones or the new employees. I think it's so key. And yeah, kind of what Ethan was saying as well, you can make that judgment as to whether they are going to be the right employer or the right company for you as well. Mm. And we've said this so many times. It's not just them choosing us as an employee, but it's also us choosing them as an employer. Can we see like the long haul with these people? That's something that we all have to, you know, it's so hard in an interview to kind of make a decision in those 45 minutes, an hour as to whether you can see a future with this company. But again, over time, you you learn and you learn how to read people better you learn how to make better judgments and yeah read the room I guess yeah definitely and I know this is a bit of a controversial question Ethan based on you know you just being the definition of wing it but what does the future hold (laughs) wow the future well for me uh, in all honesty I don't know amazing there are things that I'm working on that are outside of my actual job if you i mean this is the thing like a lot i get asked this a lot all right like in interviews everyone always asks well, what's your kind of end goal or plan and i've never really given a an actual good answer i don't think at least in the traditional definition of it but my my kind of go-to answer is like a, a dream that i've always had in the future is that i've always dreamt that one day I will write the next great sci-fi novel. So that's what I always go with um, in terms of when I get asked that. But in terms of kind of short term, like five, 10 years down the line, I don't really know. Um, I enjoy marketing, but I would say the, the main part of marketing that I enjoy is actually creating content. So does that mean I will go into something more content based? I honestly couldn't tell you right now. I don't want to say those two words, but that's what I'm trying to do. Which is a great <laughs> answer because <laughs> it means that you can go anywhere and do anything with it. Especially with content creation, it's so versatile. Yeah. Especially nowadays. Yeah, yeah. I think there's no shame in not knowing what you're going to do. I think that's something that I've had to come to terms with. Because I guess in my 20s, spoiler alert, I'm no longer in my 20s. <laughs> um, but in my 20s, I, yeah, I used to struggle with the fact that I really didn't know what I wanted to do Mm. it was it was not just kind of pressure from outside but also kind of I was giving myself pressure as well I felt like I needed to know but I don't think you do anymore yeah um to kind of summarize not only what you've just spoken about but also kind of the whole episode something that we kind of get drummed into us from such a young age you know you need these goals in place you need the house you need the car you need the husband or wife you need the kids and you need the career so a question to both of you really is do you think having a career is important to me a career my traditional definition of career was sticking to one field and you know that's what used to happen back in the day like both of my parents they stuck in their field for 30 years plus but now I kind of feel kind of like identity career is a little bit fluid in terms of I can still have a successful career but still try out different industries so I do you want to go first like do you think it is important it's a really it's a really really tough one because at the end of the day the reason why people have jobs is to make money to live 
right? <laughs> and I think in today's day and age, you don't need a job to make money, which is something that I think a lot of the old generations really, really struggle with. And which is why careers and career development was such a huge thing, you know, back in, I say back in the day, it wasn't that long ago, but even, you know, some, <laughs> even my uncles, my parents at the moment, they, they're still kind of, you need to follow this path because actually, no, actually, to be fair, my parents are quite liberal, but a lot of other people's parents or even teachers would be like, you need to follow this career path to have X amount of money to be able to support X amount of people and et cetera, et cetera. Like you said, hitting those milestones. But I actually, since COVID, because I lost my job and because I did have to find other ways to fill up my time and to carry on financially, I think it's really opened my mind up to the different ways that I can live my life. So if I want to go part-time, I can. If I want to take up something like writing or, you know, the blog or like Ethan was saying, do that part-time and do something else part-time, help someone else out part-time, do this freelance. I think that all forms part of a career because you are still, you're still honing in on all of these different skills. I think, yeah, like you said, having a career nowadays is very different to what having a career back then meant. But I still feel like when you tell people that, it's still, like you were saying, Ethan, like there's still like this element of shame where it's like, oh, but you haven't studied for eight years to be a doctor. Oh, but you haven't, you're not a lawyer. It's like, <laughs> no, I'm just. Oh, yeah, I get that a lot. I'm just swinging it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah I still oh, feel yeah. like there's an element of shame in there but I'm trying to I'm also trying to get get through it <laughs> yeah no I completely like my parents used to always bring up you know the kids of like their friends and stuff um they'd be like oh yeah. he's he's doing this now but and then I I got to a point where I would kind of answer back with just random facts like but I can run faster than him so <laughs> Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, like in terms of career, I we I agree with Aisha, like career is just what is a career anymore, um, really. Um but if we you know, what Yvonne's kind of the traditional definition, I guess, I think it's just not really for everyone. Some people need that kind of direction and that kind of end goal that they can visualize to mm. follow and it provides them with enough kind of push and you know, encouragement to go down that route. But I think everyone should be open-minded. Like, given now that, that technology, like, you couldn't have been a streamer 20 years ago, right? Yeah. So maybe in the next 20 years, there are more opportunities. You might think you found the perfect career for yourself. But then after 20 years, technology develops. There's a new, like, career path available that is even better for you. Um, you just have to be open-minded and... I guess, brave enough to take that leap and try it out, I guess. Yeah, it's so true. Like, I don't know if you guys have heard of Twitch. I heard about yeah. it my students the other day. Where these kids, they're like 12 I love, wait, like, I'm sorry, Aish, the fact that you had to be like, have you heard of Twitch? Well, I hadn't heard of You're it, You're such okay. a newbie. I am. I don't like technology. And I found this out a month, two months ago where these 12-year-olds are earning millions of pounds and are literally oh, just God. streaming. And I'm like... You're like, I want to do that. Okay. What, Yvonne, what can we stream? <laughs> so, yeah, I, 
that just wanted to bring that in is why I mentioned earlier that you don't necessarily need the job these days to make money. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah. And I guess exactly what Aisha said, because of technology, the world is so much smaller these days. This is the whole purpose of Wing It. This is what we've been saying all along. But I guess we just wanted Ethan to come on here to highlight it. First of all, because of his background in terms of different career paths, different subject choices. And also, he has yet to reveal his age. But like he said, he's past his 20s now. Me and Aisha are definitely flailing it through life. And Ethan is still trying to figure it out just like the rest of us. So anybody listening who is still trying to figure it out, we've said this in the past, you have to choose your subject choices. You have to choose so many things when you're like 16, 18, drumming into like A-levels and GCSEs. You still have so much time to figure it out because the three of us are. And I wouldn't say life is too shabby. I don't know about you guys. Not at all, I guess. Life is pretty cool. No shabbiness here, I would say. Just flailing. Fine. <laughs> yes, I want to thank you guys again for just having me on. Uh, honestly, listening to you both has helped me a lot, even though my age is a concern. So it's it's okay. I just want to like it's okay to not know. I don't really know what I'm doing. I don't know where I'm going, but I'm just making sure that I enjoy what I'm doing. And thank you again for having me on. Thank you so much for coming on. Honestly, it's been so lovely to, to chat to you properly after hearing so much about you. And it's just so even nice for me to hear that even, you know, in your 30s, even some people in their 40s and 50s are still trying to figure it out, especially at the moment with COVID and with so much going on. It's important for young, even people in their late teens, early 20s, anyone listening to this, that if you do not have everything figured out, that is fine. It's actually weird if you do have things figured out right now. Just go with it. Discover what you enjoy, really. That's what I kind of based my degree on. That's what Ethan's basing his whole life on, is what he enjoys. Keep going out there. Keep discovering. Keep exploring. Keep being safe. We're still not out of this situation yet. See you guys on the next one. Bye. Bye. Bye.